if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get rolling. <clears throat> excuse me, seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Friday. It is a free for all Friday, the 13th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2020. I don't think I'm going to do the Triskaidekaphobia thing today. You do know what Triskaidekaphobia means, right? Triskaidekaphobia is the fear of the number 13. It is Friday the 13th. I still don't know what the origin of that goofiness is, to be honest with you. I I wondered for a while when I was younger, did people start becoming afraid of Friday the 13th because of the movie, because of Jason, or does it predate that? And, of course, we know that it predates that. Uh, But one of those strange things, Friday the 13th, I got people who aren't going to leave the house today. I know people who are so freaked out they call off work on days like this. No. I'm not afraid of the number 13. I'm afraid of Mike DeWine. I'm afraid of big government executives who think they have more power than they actually do. I'm afraid of people who ignore both our state and our uh, federal constitutions. I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid of them on Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th and pretty much every other day because they never learn from their mistakes. And that's how we're going to start this today. First of all, by the way, guest-wise, coming up in about a half an hour, you're going to want to hear Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She is an osteopathic physician, and she is a very, very passionate anti-vaccine physician, which means the promise of the coronavirus vaccine that so many, including, yes, President Trump and the administration, They've been touting that's the answer to the coronavirus blues that we are all suffering from. Uh, She says, no, it's not. In fact, it's likely more dangerous uh, to take it than it would be to not take that vaccine. I'm going to talk to her about that, especially as we get word that perhaps before the end of the year, you know, next month in December, we should start seeing those things being available to the public. We're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk to her about Governor Mike DeWine's threats to shut down the state of Ohio starting next week yet again. Uh, so that's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny at 9.35. Then at 10.10, we're going to talk to Kathy Johnson. And Kathy Johnson has a lot of very important information. We talked with Kathy last, actually, with uh, Mike Goldstein. And the two of them came on when they were both going to speak and uh, testify at the Ohio Board of Education uh, over the issues of the 1619 Project 
1619 Project curriculum that was going to be forced on Ohio students and is going to be forced on Ohio students. Uh, there was a great conversation there, but we're going to talk to her about election fraud. We're going to talk to her about ballot fraud. We're going to talk to her about many of the other things. She's got information that some people are ignoring that we need to hear as this battle for the presidency continues. It is now 10 full days since the election, and I'm going to continue to say the battle for the presidency continues because it was not settled on election day or the day after or the day after that. Because each day that passes, we get more evidence, not accusations, not just radical claims, evidence of both voter fraud and election fraud. And you might say, what are you talking about? What's the difference? There, You know, there's a difference, right? Voter fraud and election fraud are two very different things. Voter fraud is when somebody gets their hands on a universal mail-in ballot that was sent to a dead guy, opens it up, fills it out, scribbles a non-legible signature on it, and sends it in, knowing that it's going to be counted. And they're not going to check one signature against what's on file. Dead guys voting is, is voter fraud. People uh, trying to vote twice, getting their hands on two mail-in ballots, voting on one and, and, and then scribbling a, a different type of signature on the other, sending them both in, hoping that there's no way they're going to catch it among the 150 million roughly ballots cast in the United States, 75 million on one side, around 72 million on the other side, and that's pre, of course, or that's not counting the number of votes that were switched by the hammer and scorecard, which is something else we'll talk about today. But, you know, with 150 million votes being cast, roughly, um, you know, they figured they're not going to catch every one of these. Some of them are getting through, and that's how we win. That's voter fraud. When people commit, that's when somebody moves out of one state, but still has their absentee ballot for the other state, and then they fill out the vote for the old state. Over 9,000 of those have been discovered in Nevada alone. Over 100,000 Nevadans had moved out and some in, in like the last 12 months, and 9,000 of them, despite having residency in other states, voted in the Nevada election. That's voter fraud. Election fraud is different. Election fraud is the systemic pre-planning to alter the results of the election in a variety of ways. This is when vote counters are counting ballots in secret without poll watchers and ballot count watchers from both parties in the room with meaningful access, meaning they're not standing 100 feet away, but they can actually see over the shoulders of the counters to make sure everything is on the up and up. That's election fraud. But most importantly, as noted, and there is more than this, but the electronic voting machines and the computer, the Dominion computer, the hammer and the scorecard programs that General Thomas McInerney told us about on the program uh, on Wednesday, that's election fraud. So there's voter fraud and there is election fraud. And the media likes to tell everybody there is no evidence of widespread voter fraud. This is all a Republican, you know, uh, manufactured story. Number one, it's not. There is widespread evidence of voter fraud, but moreover, there is growing evidence of election fraud. So this is not over by any stretch of the imagination. Sorry, I got off on a tangent there, but that's just the way that it goes sometimes. Kathy Johnson and I will talk about all of that at 1010, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny at 935. 
So I want to start when I say with what I said. The problem I have and the reason I fear Mike DeWine and people like him so much is because they don't even listen and learn from their own mistakes. Andrew Cuomo in New York, another fine example. Um, you know, uh, Gavin Newsom in California, we can sit here and run through Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania, all of the uh, liberal uh, uh, Democrat uh, governors. And yeah, I'm counting Mike DeWine in that because he has no business whatsoever calling himself a Republican. But they don't learn from their own mistakes. Now, back in March and back in early April, when the first shutdown happened over the coronavirus, we were told that we had to do this in order to flatten the curve because hospitals were going to be overwhelmed. And as such, hospitals and doctors stopped scheduling procedures, quote-unquote elective procedures, meaning things that were not life-saving at the moment. Now, elective got a bad rap at the time. People thought that meant breast augmentation or uh, uh, you know, uh, fa- uh, uh, plastic surgeries, uh, those kinds of they, they, when they say elective surgeries, it doesn't mean you're just going in for some sort of a, you know, touch up. Uh, but we're talking about procedures and surgeries that are absolutely necessary, but are not life saving at the moment. And so they postpone so many of those things. And you remember what happened? Hospitals and clinics across the country went broke. All right, not officially broke because they're you know they're like the mafia. They can set their own prices and then demand and collect it any time they wish. I've got stories, personal stories too, by the way, first-hand accounts of that that we'll get into perhaps in future shows about how clinics like Cleveland Clinic operate and the scam that they run as it pertains to uh, getting fees from insurance companies as opposed to uh, collecting fees from people who do not have insurance. Uh, That's another story, but Clinton Clinic, they didn't go broke, but they lost millions. Hospitals and major medical centers across the country lost millions because they canceled all of those procedures they would be doing under normal circumstances because they were told that the hospitals are going to be overrun with COVID patients. So for weeks, they didn't take their regular patients getting regular procedures done, including some of them that are preventative for for other, you know, uh, conditions. And um, in expectation of the COVID run on their hospitals that never materialized. Never happens. You got hospitals that sat for weeks virtually empty. Nobody was coming in with actual, you know, current medical needs to be met, procedures to be done, elective or otherwise. And uh, there weren't enough COVID patients because it just was overblown. Well, here we are. Fast forward to November, where we are now, and what are, what are the headlines? Cleveland Clinic postpones non-essential surgeries. Summa Health and Mercy Medical Care bar visitors as COVID-19 hospitalizations rise. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to just do it again. Same thing with the masking. Same thing with the bars shut down. Same thing with the restaurants. Same things with the quote-unquote non-essential businesses. They're going to just say, I wonder... I wonder if Andrew Cuomo, let's move up to New York again since I'm lumping them together, these liberal Democrat governors, I wonder if they're going to reach out to the federal government and say, save us again. Remember that? Remember when President Trump brought the USS Mercy, that uh, military hospital ship, brought it right there into New York Harbor, 
and uh, and and sat it there and said, when your hospitals are overrun, you bring them right over here. We got hundreds of beds on this ship. That ship sat there for a period of, I want to say, a month and never saw a patient. Never once. And that was back when Cuomo was thanking President Trump for doing the phenomenal job that he did in responding to the needs of his citizens in various states in various ways. Anything that we asked for, he said, President Trump and the federal government provided and responded. That was back in March and April when he made those comments. But the closer we got to November and the election, of course, he said, Donald Trump is responsible for the deaths of 200,000 people. He didn't do anything for us. And again, I know that's a tangent. I can get into a lot of different places here. But the point is, they're doing the same thing. And, you know, Mike DeWine was already smacked in the face by several judges. Proverbially, proverbially, of course, proverbially I can say that very easily, of course. Not literally. But it was smacked in the face by several judges who ruled that his decisions in shutting down the bars and the restaurants and the gyms and deciding winners and losers, which businesses can stay afloat and which ones uh, must bar the door, um, declared to be unconstitutional. There have been at least 25 lawsuits, most of them filed in state courts, challenging various aspects of his original coronavirus um, uh, orders. And... Injunctive relief was granted by several judges who said he can't do that. And then, of course, he appeals, and now we're right back to where we were. And now he's promising in his, th- his Wednesday night uh, little primetime address, he said, a week from now, if we don't have uh, you know, a, a few, a slower rise in cases, I don't know how he's going to evaluate it. Quite frankly, I don't think there is going to be an evaluation. He basically said if we don't improve the situation in one week, we're going to re- reorder these you know, businesses closed. Personally, I don't think he's got any metrics whatsoever to look at that would help him decide to keep them open. I think he's already decided we're shutting down. <clears throat> we're shutting down unconstitutionally again the businesses that we de- deem to be non-essential and we deem to be responsible for the spread. We're going to do that, but he doesn't want to do it just in one fell swoop. If he says Wednesday, here's what we're doing, we're shutting it down. He looks like, you know, the tyrant. He looks like the dictator that he is. But if he says, we're going to give you one more week to fix all of this, Ohio, if we can fix all of this in a week and lower that number of, of positive cases, well, then I'll, I'll consider leaving it open. Then when he does this next Wednesday and he says, yeah, we're closed, he can say, I gave you a chance. Don't blame me. I gave you a chance, Ohio, and you didn't come through, so we're going to shut you down again. You understand what makes these people dangerous? It's not just the stupid decisions and the unconstitutional uh, decisions and orders that they make. It's that they make the same stupid decisions, the same unconstitutional orders are put in place that they did the first time around. You'd think they would learn from their mistakes. They're not. So guess what? Somebody's going to have to teach them. And that's somebody, my friends, that somebody is you, and it's me, and it's 11 million Ohioans, or at least whatever percentage of the 11, of 11 million Ohioans who are not scared, frightened children who are ready to be cooped up in their house like house cats again. It's going to take the rest of us in some very seriously dedicated acts of civil disobedience in order to try to stop this. 
We're going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to listen to you about it. We'll talk to Sherry Tenpenny about it. But it is time for us to rise up. Civil disobedience. Mind you, civil. Peaceful. But disobedience indeed. We will not be treated like we are in a communist country. 922, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. So what do we mean when we talk about civil disobedience and standing up to the tyrant Mike DeWine when he does, and it's not a matter of if, <clears throat> again, it's just simply a question of when, and it'll be a week from, or a week from yes, from uh, Wednesday when he made that announcement, I guess. He said, you've got a week to straighten it up, Ohio, or else we're shutting everything down again. He knows that can't happen, especially when you're talking about a virus with an incubation period of two weeks. So people who you know first became symptomatic or first maybe were infected by, by the virus a week ago, by the time we get to next week, it'll just start be starting to, those cases will just start to be recorded. So it's impossible for us to meet the standard. He knows he's going to shut it down. So what do we do when it comes to civil disobedience? Well, one bar that I read and restaurant, and I believe I saw uh, it was a separate story of a uh, retail outlet in southern Ohio that has signs up these places that have signs up on their windows in direct defiance of Mike DeWine, who says that businesses must put signs on their doors that say face coverings are mandatory per Ohio Department of Health. Instead, these businesses are putting up signs saying not just that masks are not mandatory, Masks are banned. That's right. You can't come into our business wearing a face covering. We want to be able to see your face. And it's not for the purposes of security so that their cameras, their, you know, their uh, surveillance cameras can pick up people who are doing, uh, you know, doing uh, illegal things. It's just to make the point that no, we will not submit to this tyrannical, unconstitutional bullying by Mike DeWine. Now, if just one or two businesses um, decides to do something like this, the full weight of the Ohio government and his Gestapo that he's creating through the BWC, the Bureau of Workers' Compensation, they can, you know, they can hone in on those businesses, fine them, sue them, order them shut down. I still don't know what they're going to do about the orders of shutting down. Are they going to send cops to businesses that have been, you know, quote-unquote served with notice that they have to shut down for 24 hours? Are they going to send cops there to bar the door, to guard it so nobody can come in and open it up for business? How's that going to look? I don't know if that's the plan or not, but if they ju- if we just have one or two businesses doing this, yeah, the power of the state government will hone in on them and it will be impossible for them to, to, to survive it. But if dozens... If hundreds of businesses say we will not be held captive, we will not submit to the unconstitutional orders, we will not deem ourselves to be non-essential because this business is essential to the business owners' lives, it's essential to the employees' lives, it's essential to those in the community who frequent and patronize those businesses' lives, and the governor is not going to be able to ter- uh, not going to tell us that he can determine, or the Ohio Department of Health can determine, what is essential and what is not. So it's going to take a massive effort. Now, I'm one small voice. 
I got a microphone and a transmitter that makes the voice a little bit bigger, but it's going to take much, much more than just a, a, a person or two screaming into a microphone. We need people who believe in liberty, who believe in constitutionality, who believe in the opportunity to run their business free of big government interference like what Mike DeWine is promising right now. We need everybody to get that message out there. Put signs on your door, masks not required, and in fact, masks banned. Do not come in here if you're wearing a mask. We need to, because if we spread that out, if it's happening in all the corners of this state in 88 counties, well, then suddenly the weight of the government is no weight at all. Suddenly they can't send their Gestapo police out to all of these businesses all over the state. Then they're going to have to say, hey, governor, you're going to have to rethink this. Civil disobedience is called for here, and I hope we're ready to practice it. We'll be right back. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed it is, and we roll onward now at 9.36. Thank you so much for being with us here on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to talk again to Kathy Johnson coming up in uh, about a half an hour. We're going to talk about the election fraud that we're all witnessing happen before our very eyes. But right now we're going to talk about the medical fraud that is being perpetrated on the people of the state of Ohio by um, the Ohio Board of Health or the Ohio Department of Health. Um, They are the ones, of course, who are backing Mike DeWine's power play. Mike DeWine is going to close down uh, what he deems to be or they deem to be non-essential businesses in less than a week. We know this because he told us so. It is impossible for him to tell us you have one week to fix things, Ohio, or else I'm going to shut you down when it takes two weeks for a virus to incubate and be detectable. People who started to get infected a week ago um, are just going to have their um, uh, uh, their. Uh, Case is detectable by the time it's time to shut down. So no, things aren't going to drop. It's not possible. So he's made up his mind. He's trying to make it look like he's giving consideration, though. You, know, you get a week to try to figure this out, Ohio, or otherwise we're going to figure this out for you. Mike DeWine is about to make that move in less than one week. And uh, it is unconstitutional. It is going to destroy our economy even worse. And moreover, it is going to have very negative effects on the health of many, many Ohioans. And that is the issue. And that's one of the reasons we bring on Dr. Sherry Tenpenny now. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is an osteopathic medical doctor, board certified in three medical specialty uh, specialties, widely regarded as the most knowledgeable and outspoken physician on the adverse impact that vaccines can have on public health. And Dr. Tenpenny joins us again on AM 1420, The Answer. Doctor, good morning. How are you? on your show. Tenpenny, are you there? Hello. Yeah, nope, we're not connected, though. I cannot hear her. There we hello, go. Hello. Let's try to push the right... We got gotcha. you. We got to push the right buttons there. We're good to go now. Doctor, how are you? Good morning, Bob. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, it's a pleasure. Doctor, I want to start... We'll get to the vaccines in a moment. Obviously, we know that has been, you know, kind of your career and life's work, uh, talking about the dangers of vaccines. Um and or at least the potential dangers for some people let's put it that way uh and i do want to talk about the fact that it is being kind of seen as the panacea by everybody from president trump's team to the incoming president if it works out that way joe biden's team to mike dewine everybody is saying vaccine 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 that's going to solve this problem but let's talk about what's more immediate 
and that is the governor's threat to shut down, and in fact, it's more of a promise to shut down non-essential businesses in less than a week. When you look back at what happened in the state of Ohio the first time that went into effect, and by the way, it has never really been lifted. You know, yes, some businesses were allowed to reopen on contingency basis or bases. In other words, uh, 25% capacity, limited hours, limited uh, uh, operation rules, etc. But the first time this went into effect, doctor, uh, people were talking about the need to save lives and the need to stop COVID from killing people. That's why we had to do it. And they ignored the ill effects, health effects, on millions of people in this state and around the country. <clears throat> From being locked in their homes, from being, uh, you know, lim- uh, you know, forbidden from having social contact with others, depression rose, suicides rose, uh, drug drug abuse rose, alcoholism rose, domestic abuse rose, all of those kinds of things. So I guess my question, Doctor Tenpenny, is based on that little brief history from a few months ago. Why on earth would anybody want to repeat that? Uh, that is the sixty-four million dollar question, isn't it, Bob? I mean, because you nailed it. You hit every single element. The one element that that needs to go in addition to that on your list is the fact that masks do nothing and that in, in order to protect anyone. Mask, um, I've re- reviewed more than 90 articles published from the peer-reviewed literature from PubMed that shows unequivocally that there is no, there is no science to show that masks decrease infection rates. In fact, there was an article that came out from the CDC about six weeks ago now that they took uh, two populations. Both populations were sick, meaning both populations had, had fever and cough. And that they, the difference was is that one population tested positive for COVID, the other population did not, which meant that it was, they were having their symptoms from some other virus or bacteria. And when they looked at the data, what they found was 70%, 70% of people who were sick in either one of those groups wore a mask all the time or most of the time. Only 3% of people in either one of those groups um, wore a mask never or occasionally. So we know that masks don't keep people from getting sick. If I'm sick and I'm coughing, the mask doesn't keep me from spreading viruses to you. When I'm out walking my dog or I'm out walking in the park, it certainly doesn't keep me from contracting any infection. So the mask unequivocally do not do anything but make the wearer of the mask sick. We now have mask mouth, mask dermatitis. We have untreatable uh, lung infections. We have a long list, a long laundry list of ways of how these masks make people who wear them continually sick. So not only are we talking about suppressing our economy unnecessarily, suppressing all of those things that you talked about with depression and anxiety and suicide and all of those things. We are actually forcing people to commit an act that will make them sick. Dr. Tenpenny, Mike DeWine in his... um you know, obviously, has spoken twice in the last two days. His Wednesday night prime time address, if you will, in which he uh, made his threats, uh, and then yesterday he tried to back all of those things up. He declared that masks work. He said that very definitively, very authoritatively. He said the science is settled. It's kind of like climate science. It's settled. Masks work. This is what's going to to protect us all. Um, you just gave some very specific ways in which masks not only do not work in protecting our health, but they can actually impact our health negatively in, in, in the ways you just described. I, mine is going to be more observational uh, and, and I think just common sensible approach to this. He declared um, about two months ago, I think it was, when asked by a reporter, 
if Ohioans are doing what he said to do when he put his mask mandate into effect on July 23rd. He said they have seen 85 to 95 uh, to 90 percent compliance, which is outstanding. If you get if you get 85 to 90 percent of any population, let alone a state with 11 million people in it to comply with something, whatever it is, you've done an, a remarkable thing here. So if 80 to 80 or 85 to 90 percent of the state is complying with masks and masks work, then how can we be experiencing the spike that we are seeing right now? I, I mean, um, it, it, it's it's not just counterintuitive. It's it's just impossible for both of those things to be true, for masks to work and for an overwhelming majority of people to be wearing those masks. Um then it's impossible for for cases to spike. Something has to be wrong with that equation. You're absolutely right, Bob. And there are many charts and data graphs out there now from showing all over the world in various points in time when governments, whether it be a state or an actual government, such as Germany or the U.K., when they enforce the mask mandate, that the number of infected people started to go up and, and be higher. Infected, I would define that as someone who actually has symptoms who actually has a fever, a cough, a shortness of breath, a loss of taste, any short, uh, a chest tightness, that, that is an infected person. A person that tests positive from a PCR test that is asymptomatic, um, they are defining that as, a, as an infected person, which it is not. Um, and there is, there is a plethora of medical literature out there that shows that PCR testing was never designed to identify sick people. And so it, um, um, DeWine's saying that masks work. First of all, they don't. And I actually heard him say, so one of the reporters asked him, two, there was two questions I'd like to address. One is he asked about, okay. what about kids? And he said, well, we see that the infection rate in children is way low because they're wearing a mask. No, the infection rate is way low in children because children don't contract this infection. The, and that is international data that says that less than 1% of kids who are actually even exposed to someone who has this infection don't contract it. And there's a long list of medical reasons of why that is that we really don't have time to get into. But the, the, the rate is low in schools because kids don't contract this infection, not because we are forcing children to wear diapers on their face all day. The second thing is one of the reporters yesterday in the conference asked him, can you please show us data? To back up what you're saying, that the people who are spreading this infection, as you want to define it, are people that, that are in weddings, in funerals, and in restaurants. Can you show us any data to, to back up what you're saying? Not only did DeWine not answer the question, he changed the topic. He changed the subject, which to me was pretty clear evidence that there isn't anything that backs that up. The shutdown restaurants and other what he would consider to be non-essential businesses. You know, Bob, from the very beginning when they talked about this whole concept of non-essential business, that tells me it's somebody who's never owned a business. Because if you have a non-essential business, you're out of business because you have no customers. And so if you're serving people who want your services, want your products, you are providing for your family, that is an essential business not something that's non-essential uh, as defined by some bureaucrat. We're talking with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, doctor of osteopathy, and uh, she is a very, very strong op opponent of masking for all the reasons she just gave. And, and we'll, we'll get into the vaccines in one second, uh, Dr. Tenpenny, but just one, one other thing to the, to the orders here. From a, from a health perspective, again, I'm not a doctor, so I can't look at this in the same way that you can. I'm just a layman trying to observe these things, but... 
He also said a week ago in his one of his press conferences that he was congratulating and thanking Ohio's bars and restaurants for being as diligent as they are, for doing a great job on making sure people wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. If they weren't doing such a great job, we'd be in a really terrible place. Now here we are, and he says we are in a terrible place, and he's going to blame the very same businesses that he praised a week ago. He's going to shut down the bars and the restaurants and the gyms with exactly zero, because his, his, um, his uh, uh, oh, for kind of loud, what do you call him? Uh, not it's not the um, uh, not the press secretary. Uh, it's one of his spokespersons in the governor's office. I can't recall which. Uh, so I apologize for that. But it was asked on what evidence or based on what evidence are you making the decision that these are the businesses that are responsible for the massive spread and spike in uh, the state right now? And the answer was, we're still figuring that out. There is no evidence whatsoever that this massive spread or the increase in cases, which I, sus- I suspect, and you do too, is just because of the increase in testing, the PCR Absolutely. testing, and all the things that you mentioned about the you know, the high uh, sensitivity of those tests. But, but if they're going to blame somebody, why are they blaming businesses that are not proven to be spreading? And uh, moreover, he literally just praised a week ago and said, you guys are doing fantastic. Well, one thing about the cases, Bob, first of all, a case does not mean you're actively infected. We have, they have somehow blended that together to make that be a synonym, and it's not. And the other thing is if they, we have an explosion of cases amongst healthy people, um, isn't that a good thing? Doesn't that mean that the virus is moving through the population and we're developing natural herd immunity? When he keeps talking about increasing the number of people in the hospital and in ICUs, I believe that the number he showed yesterday was 21 people in ICU and 30, 34 deaths in a state with 11.9 million people. The yeah. one numbers that they re- are refusing to show is what is the, is the hospital admission rate for any sorts of reason, not for something they're labeling as COVID, but what is the hospital rate? It's fall. We're heading into winter. What is the hospital rate this year compared to 2019, 18, and 17? Is there a huge increase? Is it the same? Or I suspect it's less. And so the cases of saying that people are, it's moving through and they're testing more and more healthy people, which we've never done before, ever. And I've looked at the world literature and the world literature estimates that, that the positivity of the, uh, let me restate that, that when tests come in, approximately 7% across the board globally are considered to be positive. Well, if that's a constant and you increase the number of tests, well, of course, the number of positive rates are going to go up. But if people are asymptomatic, they have no symptoms, I would say, I would say that that's a good thing, that that means that we are developing a natural herd immunity. We don't need the vaccine. We don't need to be isolating people. We don't need to be shutting people down and declaring this to be the smartest virus ever. The virus knows what building you're in. If you're in the church, it will make you sick. If you're at Home Depot, it leaves you alone. If you're sitting down, it bothers you. But if it's standing up, it's bad. It tells, can tell what time it is. It knows if it's after 10 o'clock at night, oh, you might make people sick. If it's before 10 o'clock, probably not. I mean, it's just insane the types of assumptions that we're making based on no evidence and really no science. And the people from the Ohio Department of Health should get their nose in the medical literature like I've done and several other people have done and to look at and, and to declare the fact that they've been fed a bill of goods by John Hopkins University Department of Epidemiology, who say that cases mean an infected, an active infection, which it doesn't. I mean, there is so much information out there now, Bob. They can't continue to get away with this. They can't. It's all going to blow up in their face.
One last point on the masking effectiveness or efficacy. Um, this was this was a and by the way, it was the press secretary. I was right when I was trying to fumble and remember who it was who said this. It was Dan Tierney, the press secretary for uh, the governor. Uh, he was asked in an email about why it is that um, the number of cases of flu and pneumonia are extraordinarily lower right now uh, compared to where they are normally at this time of the year. And the answer was because people are wearing masks. They said that masks have been tremendously effective at cutting down the number of cases of spread of flu and pneumonia, respiratory illnesses. Yet the number of COVID cases is through the roof. So the question was asked of the press secretary and the DeWine administration, um, if masks work to stop the flu and stop and, and to stop pneumonia from being spread, how come it doesn't work to stop COVID? And the answer was, we'll get back to you. They don't know. In other words, they admitted that masks aren't effective against COVID because COVID is much more highly infectious and transmissible than those other diseases. So how can they tell us on one hand masks work and then, by the way, they work against things that we're not actually dealing with right now, flu and pneumonia? Um, yes, and that's the double speak that happens all the time because one of the things that we have conveniently done is that we have called SARS-CoV-2, which is the name of the virus, we have made it be a synonym for COVID, which is the infection. And when you actually look at what the symptoms are of COVID, the infection, it's the same as the flu and a long list of other types of respiratory pathogens. And so the fact that and so it's all this double speak. We've mixed it all together. We've also known that there's a, there's a, a significant amount of fraud that's involved with this. That people that go into the hospital and they die of pneumonia, they die of heart disease, strokes, pulmonary emboli, other types of things. That frequently, whether they've been tested or not, COVID gets added to their diagnostic code, which goes into the numbers because hospitals. Have, we've all been told that hospitals get an increased amount of, of, of uh, compensation for that, for taking care of those people. So there's so much fraud in this, Bob. And I know that you've talked to um, Tom Rents, who's the lead attorney on yeah. our lawsuit that here in the state of Ohio. And he is going after this relentlessly. Tom and I, I'm, I'm part of Tom's team, and we've been talking about this. And he, he said that there is no legal basis for pushing mandates to discriminate against people who have a medical exemption. And given the evidence that the influenza, that, that this COVID infection from the SARS-CoV-2 is no more serious than an infection caused by influenza, and that the CDC isn't even tracking influenza rates this year because they're, the symptoms are so overlapping, given all of that, there is absolutely no reason whatsoever to have, um, have any of these mandates be put into place. Mandates for a mask, mandates to shut down, mandates to keep people away from their churches or from their places of employment or their businesses, and that the legal basis for pushing these mandates to discriminate, particularly against people that have medical exemptions for mandates, that must stop. I completely concur. Dr. T, I apologize. We're short on time here. In fact, we went well over our time. I didn't get a chance to get to the vaccines. We'll talk again next week about that, especially considering uh, they are being uh, they are being touted as being the be-all, end-all answer to all of this. And I know how you feel about that. So we'll talk to you again next week. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bob. 9.54. We're late, but we'll catch up right after this.
Okay, it is 9.58. I've got time for a call or two before the top of the hour here. Let's go to Eli, who's calling from Cleveland Heights on AM 1420. The answer. Is this Eli the key guy? It is, Bob. Is How this, are you, is this, Hey, I'm good, Eli. Good to talk to you, my friend. What's on your mind? You know, there's one thing that I'd like to say, because I don't think it gets said often enough. When they present, you know, they're calling us conspiracy theorists. These are the people who, over the last 20 years, were telling us that the 9-11 was an insight done by... These are the people telling us that Bush had a way to control the weather to make Katrina happen. And somehow or other, there needs to be a point in time where we get out there with real facts and say, guys, we're going to present facts, not opinion. And we're not going to let you present opinion as if it's fact. <clears throat> you know, they've, they've controlled the narrative for way too long, and they've been allowed to get away with it. And then when you don't agree with them, they shout you down, like some of these commentators on TAM 1100, unfortunately, have been doing. They tell well, us I'll to tell get you over this. it. I'll tell you this in response to that, Eli, and and and, uh, and I thank you for the phone call. I think the problem here is in in ninety nine percent of the cases are media, because the media's job is to prove or disprove some of the things, to shine a spotlight on, like you said, those who are lying and telling you what things are, trying to control the narrative, even when there is evidence to the contrary. That's got to be presented by. A, a very diligent and curious media whose job is to report those things, to shine, you know, the spotlight of truth on those, those sorts of, you know, dark things that are being done in, you know, in, uh, uh, under the cover of night. And, and, and that's a bit of a mixed metaphor, but you understand my point. Um, the media's job is to make sure that all sides of a narrative are heard and not just let one side control the narrative, as you say. And until the media starts doing its job again, and I don't know that they ever will, because they are committed to their partisanship. They're committed to their leftism. Until and, and unless we get a media that is actually willing to do its job again, they're going to continue to control that narrative, no matter how damaging it is for the country. Thank you, Eli. I, Eli, I appreciate the phone call. God bless. We'll talk to you again another time. Uh, it's news time now. Kathy Johnson will join us next. AM 1420, The Answer.